But you know what? My most embarrassing moment is so embarrassing that I really do not believe I've ever shared it with a single soul. And, uh, and so today will be no different. Um, <laughs> after today, I still will have never shared it with a, a single soul. Uh, are you going back to yours right now? You know what I'm talking about. You know, there was that, at least that one time. Now, for me, there's been a lot of them that I could share with you, but there's none like that one. But when, when you, when you look back on that deal, it's kind of like, oh, if I could just right now, if I could just disappear, you know, if you could just vanish into nothingness and never come back, it would be okay at that moment. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and little kids, they, they have found a way to deal with this. You know how little kids deal with this? When they want to disappear, they, they do it. This is what they do. You, you know what I'm saying? Your kids, they had to have done it. We all did it, didn't we? You just... And, and somehow when that happens, we convince ourselves that if I can't see you, then you can't see me, you know? So, I'm not really here right now, because I can't see you. And, and you remember when we were a little kid, you remember what we would do when people would be, they'd be saying something that we didn't, we got sick of hearing, or, you know, they're making fun of us about, you know, whatever. You remember what we'd do then? <laughs> we'd put our finger in our ears, and then if if we could still hear them after that. You remember what we'd do then? You know, you're just kind of going off on this, you know, an absolute jerk, you know. And most of the time, most of the time, we, we tend to grow out of that, you know. I mean, it would be, it, wouldn't it be wild if, you know, you're out there and something embarrassing happens out in the foyer and somebody just... You know, an adult, or you're telling them something, you know, and they're... <laughs> Again, normally, we, uh, we tend to grow out of that kind of stuff. Until it comes to God and the Bible. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> And there's a great case in point of this in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. God told Zechariah to come before the people, and what he wanted them to do is he wanted to confront them with how they were living their lives. And watch what Zechariah chapter 7 and verse 11 says the people did. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder. Do you know what that, what, you know what's happening? You, you've seen little kids, you know, you're trying to get their attention. What do they do? See, if I pull away my shoulder, you're not there. You're not over here. And pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. I mean, can you imagine this? We're talking, now, and this is not fiction. These are grown adults listening to the voice of God as it is coming through the prophet. And as long if I can't hear what you're saying, then you're not saying anything. 
And so I'm going to block you out. And if I block you out, then it's not happening. And you see, this is not some isolated deal in Scripture. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is preaching before the the ruling council of the nation of Israel. And, And really, what's actually happening here is God is giving the nation of Israel their final chance to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah. And and you've got to understand before we get into Acts chapter 7 that back in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, this ruling council has already officially rejected the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah of the nation of Israel. And you've got to understand this, that when they officially rejected Him in Matthew chapter 12, they had the fulfillment right in front of their very eyes of all of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah, and with their very own eyes, they have been able to witness Jesus Christ fulfilling those prophecies. Now, if you didn't know anything about the Old Testament, and you were just kind of cruising through the Gospel of Matthew, and you know, you're just reading all the stuff that, that's happening here, it might appear to you that Jesus is... You know, he just, he's going over here, and, and he's doing this, and, and the next day he's going over there, and, and he's doing that, and you know, he throws this miracle in this situation, and this miracle in, in this situation. But what you've got to understand is that's not what's happening. What is happening all the way through the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus Christ is very purposefully fulfilling every prophecy before the eyes of the nation of Israel, specifically the ruling council, to let them know He's here! And He is going through. I mean, especially there in Matthew chapter 8 and 9. I mean, it's just, I mean, one right after another. He is just fulfilling all of the things that was promised concerning the Messiah, and yet what happens in the full face of what they are able to look at and behold with their very eyes, Matthew chapter 12, They attribute the power through which he did the things that he did to Beelzebub or to Satan. And then coming out of that, they ultimately plot his death. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 7, Jesus has already been crucified. He's already been buried, risen from the dead. He's ascended back to the right hand of the Father. But God in Acts chapter 7 is giving the leaders of the nation of Israel... One more chance, now through Stephen. Now they've already watched Jesus in his very life fulfill the Old Testament Scriptures. And now what Stephen does in Acts chapter 7 is now he takes the written Word of God. They watch the incarnate Word live the principles out, and now here comes Stephen holding the written Word. He takes out his Bible And he brings them all the way back to Genesis chapter 11 to the father of the nation of Israel, to Abraham. And what he begins to do is he begins to walk them through, line upon line, he begins to walk them through their history. And he goes from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph and to Moses and to the tabernacle in the wilderness. And then he begins to talk about the the, the temple in Solomon's day. And what, what Stephen is doing is he is taking the Word of God and trying to show them this ruling council. He is trying to show them that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures for the Messiah promised to the nation of Israel. So, I mean, folks, 
It was all there. The incarnate word, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, has fulfilled the very prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the Messiah of the nation of Israel. Stephen has taken his Bible and he's laid out the facts. And there was no denying, by the time it was all said and done, I mean, there's no denying the fact of who Jesus Christ was. But watch their response. Beginning in Acts chapter 7, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And oh, oh, they were cut to the heart, man. I bet they opened their, their mouth and called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save them. Wrong. They opened their mouth and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And check out verse 57 in that same chapter. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. You know what they're doing? Here's Stephen preaching the Word of God. And you know what they, they do? Grown adults, ruling council of the nation of Israel. La, 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 la. I can't hear you. And so you must not be saying anything. And they ran upon him with one accord. And verse 58 says that they cast him out of the city and stoned him. I mean, absolutely incredible. And you know what I found about God in the Bible? Facts about God? Facts about the Bible and the things that God has revealed to us? What I've found, and think with me, what I've found is it can, it can take what are normally very rational, reasonable, honest, thinking people, and all of a sudden, when it comes to facts about God and facts about the Bible, all of a sudden, these very reasonable, rational, honest people become very irrational and very unreasonable and very dishonest with, of all people, themselves. And it's like the whole, whole deal when we were little with the, the, the three-year-old stuff. And if, you see, it's almost like the mentality. If I don't allow my mind and my heart to think about God, and I'll plug my ears and I'll close my eyes, it'll all go away and I won't have to face the facts. In Matthew chapter 13, in verse 15, Jesus talked about people whose heart, he said, is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. You getting it? Jesus said, their heart, they, they've clogged up their heart. They've plugged their ears. And they closed their eyes, and look at the rest of this, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Not necessarily a physical healing, but the healing that all of us need down in our soul. The cleansing that comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is so sad is that these people that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 50, those people didn't cease to exist in Zechariah's day. Those people didn't cease to exist in Jesus' day. 
they didn't cease to exist in Stephen's day. No, people in 1997 are still shutting down their hearts, still plugging their ears, still closing their eyes when it comes to God in the Bible. And we're in a study right now. I'm having a hard time getting past the introduction in in the, our study of the book of Revelation. But if you go over there, because we will be referring to several things here this morning. We, we've begun a study of the book of, of Revelation. And you'll notice in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, the very first, the very first phrase in, in this entire book, it says this, the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, the revealing of Jesus Christ. It's kind of like, uh, you know, I've got something up here, some kind of a, you don't know what it is. I, I take a, a big sheet or whatever and I put it over it. And it's just sitting up here all, all through the morning. It's, it's just up here and everybody's like, what's up with the sheet on the stage? What's under that? I don't know. I don't know. Chances are good you're not going to come up here at the beginning of the service, you know, do one of those numbers. You'd wait to see what's up with what's up with this guy this week, you know. And we could come to the end of the at the beginning of the service, and I could take it all off, and there it is. It's just sitting there, right in front of you, right. You know what that is? That's the unveiling. That's the the revealing. It's just right out there in front of you. What the Book of Revelation is is the it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And what God wants to do is He wants to unveil Jesus Christ to you. And He's gone to a whole lot before He ever got to the book of Revelation to do that. But the point I'm trying to get you to see this morning as we're beginning is that man has the disastrous ability to lie to himself. To be able to look right at it and convince himself that he doesn't see it. Man has the ability to reveal what God has revealed. And I just wonder if maybe there aren't some folks in this room this morning that are doing that very exact thing that we've been talking about, that we've been seeing all of these silly people in the Bible. I just wonder if maybe... There aren't some folks that are in this room this morning who are approaching the what has been revealed before your very eyes in the same exact way that we have seen in the lives of these people in the verses we've already gone to. And, and, and let me, you know, because that's the old stuff, because that's those people that lived several thousand years ago, and, you know, that really, people aren't really like that today. Well, let, let, let me give you a, a little scenario that may bring it more into to our culture, and let's just see if we can relate with some things, okay? What I want you to do is I want you to suppose that tonight you go home if you come to church on Sunday nights, and boy, let me put a little commercial here. If you don't come on Sunday nights, you miss, you miss probably the best half of this church. We've got a right arm and a left arm. I'm not sure who's what, but Sunday morning, you get one half, and Sunday night, the other half comes. And man, if you're missing that, we're going through the book of Judges, and it's, it's incredible. You need to be here. But let's say after church tonight, about 10 o'clock, 
you're just uh, you're just chilling out, you know, in the house, and you're sitting in your chair, and you know you got the remote in one hand, you got your other hand in a bucket of bonbons, and you know you're just working it, you know, you're just hanging out. And all of a sudden, ten o'clock at night, knock comes on the door. You're like, ten o'clock at night. This is kind of wild. So you go to the door, and here is this guy standing there. And he's got long white hair, and he's got a long white beard, and he's got a long white robe. And he says, I am a psychic, and I have a prophecy for you. And you're kind of, oh, I've got a weirdo on my hand, you know. And so he, he, he says, on December 15, 1997, you will be one mile east of Canton, sitting in a McDonald's, and at 4.01 p.m., a tornado is going to come down the road and blow away the golden arches. You slam the door, you're walking back to your seat, and you're thinking, what an absolute jerk. What a nut. And you've got several reasons for thinking the guy is a nut, right? Because, number one, I mean, other than the whole get-up and all of that, but number one, no man knows where a tornado is going to touch down. And no man knows what a tornado is going to do when it touches down. And no man knows where, when, where, what it's going to do. Man just doesn't know all of those events. And tornadoes don't touch down in this part of Ohio in December. And maybe most of all, you don't even like McDonald's, you know? So you're going through this, this whole deal. I mean, you've got all these reasons for thinking that the guy is just an absolute idiot. So, you know, you're just kind of cruising through life. I mean, this is, this is April 20th, you know. And here comes the month of December. And your, your favorite aunt, she calls you up and she says, Honey, would you do something for me? I've, I've got an aunt. That, this is her, man. Would you do something for me, Shug? Would you take me... To, would you take me shopping today for for Christmas? And you know, so hey, sure, no no problem. So you know, you 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 pick up your your aunt. She says, I'd, I'd like to go up to Belden Village. You know, so you go to Belden Village, and you know, you do the shopping gig, and and so you know, her feet are starting to get a little bit tired toward the end of the day. You know, and so she says, well, you know, why don't we just head on back? And so you get in the car, and you're you're leaving the place, and she says, you know what, Chuck, I'm just a little bit hungry. Could we pull over here to this McDonald's and, and let's just get a bite? And you're like, oh, McDonald's, okay, well, whatever. So, you know, you go into the McDonald's and, you know, you don't know what to order. You, you make your order, you go and you sit down, and all of a sudden, you hear this incredible noise that, I mean, it sounds like a freight train. And you, you get up, you look out the window, and lo and behold, here comes a tornado down the road. And just about that time, wham, it blows the golden arches away. And all of a sudden, your mind is going back to that guy, that psychic guy with the prophecy at the door. And you look at your watch, it's 4.01. You check the date, it's December 15th. You ask your aunt, what year is it? It's 1997. And all of a sudden, it's almost like you can hear the music, man. And all of a sudden, here comes the same dude. White hair, white beard, white robe. 
And he's walking up to you like this. He said, I told you. I'm a psychic, man. I, I told you exactly what was going to happen, and, and, it, and it did, and now I've got another prophecy for you. And then he tells you, on April 15th, 1998, at 10.35 p.m., you'll be five miles south of Cleveland on I-77. You're going to have a head-on collision, and you're going to die. Okay, now, let me ask you this. How many of you, based on the fact that the first time it all came to pass exactly the way that he said, how many of you are going to be on I-77 anywhere close to being five miles south of Cleveland at 10.35 p.m. on April 15, 1998? It's just not going to happen, is it? You see, based on the fact that the first prophecy came to pass exactly as he said, extreme precautions would be taken when it came to his second prophecy and yet check this out do you realize and i think most of the people that are in this room this morning you've got a bible if you if you if maybe you forgot one maybe you don't have one there's one that's provided for you in the in the back of the the pew there but do you realize this morning folks the the book that we are holding in our hands you are holding when you hold this book you are holding the most supernatural commodity that is on the face of this planet today. You are holding a book that was written over a 1,500-year period, over 60 generations, with 40 different writers, in fact, 40-plus different writers, from all different walks of life, writing from different places, from, from different places, on, on three different continents, writing in three different languages, in different times and in different moods, writing on hundreds of different kinds of controversial subjects, and yet from beginning to end, you not only have one unfolding book from Genesis to Revelation, folks, we're holding in our hand a book that has made over 10,365 prophecies and listen to this listen there has never been a time never been a time not once in what has been more than 3500 years since portions of this book have been in existence and there has never been a time in 3500 years that this book has ever missed the mark in even one minute detail when it came to any prophecy that this book has ever laid out not one time. But if I cover my eyes and I can't see it, then I don't have to deal with it. But if I plug my ears, I don't have to hear it. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about it. There, there are over 360 specific prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Jesus Christ. Now those prophecies have to do with his, his lineage, his birth, his, his life, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. All those things. Before he ever graced this planet, the Old Testament laid out all of the details concerning all of those things. Before his life, during his life, after his life. And I want you to listen. 
Every single one of them. Every single one of them took place and were fulfilled exactly the way the Old Testament said they would. You say, well, my, isn't that coincidental? Well, let's just, let's just talk about coincidental and see, see how coincidental it really is. There is a, a science of mathematics that has developed a, a, a principle that is called the principle of probability or the laws of mathematical probability. And, and the, way the, the easiest way probably to begin to understand it, and I don't presume to understand all of these things, when it comes to math, I can tell you I'm about you know, three bricks shy of a load. Uh, I just don't work in that arena. But, but here's a, a great way to understand it. Uh, the, the, the Cleveland Cavaliers play uh, a basketball game this afternoon. This is straight up. They, they play the Washington Bullets, and it just kind of came down to the last game of the year. Is this their last game? Okay, last game of the year. They're playing the team that whoever wins this game between these two is going to enter the playoffs. You, either you, you win, you go to the playoffs, you lose, and, and you don't. Okay? So the Cleveland Cavaliers are playing the Washington Bullets. Okay, now, if you're going to make a prediction about this game, you're going to pick the winner, what kind of odds do you have? Okay, it's, it's 50-50. So you have one chance in two to pick the winner because there's two teams going to play and ultimately one of them is going to win. But now, let's, let's not just predict the winner. Let's predict what the score will be. Okay? And most basketball games, when the game is done, the teams have uh, somewhere between 50 and 100 points. Okay? So, so what, what, what you got is if you're going to apply the, the law of of mathematical probability, and you're going to try to guess the final score of the, the Cavs, then what you're going to have is you're going to have a 1 in 50 chance. Okay, you following that? Because the score is going to be somewhere between 50 and 100. So if you're going to pick their score, then you've got a 1 in, in 50 chance. But if you're going to actually predict the final score, then you've also got to predict what the, the bullets will have. And so you've got another 1 in 50 chance of being able to get the score that they're going to have. So, to predict the winner of the game and the exact final score, what you do is you simply multiply the possibilities. So what it would be is 2 times 50 times 50. Okay? And whatever that is, that's the odds that you have that you are going to pick the final score of this basketball game today. Now, what that would mean is that the odds are 1 in 5,000 that you will pick the precise score. 2 times 50 times 50 is 5,000. Now, okay, you may, you may put your month's salary on who's going to win the game, okay? You, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> not, when, not with the Cavs. You never know, you know? So I, I'm not going to put my month's salary on that. I'm certainly not going to put my reputation on the line when it comes to, to, to that thing. I'm not even going to do that for, for, the, for the winner. I can guarantee you I'm certainly not going to do that in picking the final score when the chances of it are 1 in 5,000. But I want you to understand what God has done with the Bible. He has given you 10,365 specific prophecies wherewith seeking to predict the future 
what he has done is he has put his reputation on the line and he has put the inspiration of this book on the line as well because you see if it's ever wrong and even one of them if it's ever wrong can at all because it's not from God because God said he cannot lie God said he's perfect and do you see this you wouldn't risk your month's salary on one out of 5,000, and yet here is the Bible laying out 10,365 specific prophecies. Now, a lot of those prophecies, as I've already mentioned, have to do concerning the, the, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this planet, the fact that there were 360 specific prophecies on that event. Now, and, and some of our folks, we've, we've talked about this. I'll, I'll show you some other things here in just a second. We've talked about this before. The, the fact that if you take the, the law of mathematical probability and start applying those to the prophecies just concerning Jesus Christ, not all the prophecies of the Bible, just those concerning the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and let's just take eight of those prophecies. Understand, there's 360 of them. But I want you to just think right now about the possibility of eight of those prophecies being fulfilled in one person. Do you know what the law of mathematical probability for just eight of those prophecies coming to pass in one person? It is one times ten to the seventeenth power, a number that would look something like that. Folks, that's just for eight of them. Now, our mind can't comprehend a number like that, and so here's the illustration that a lot of our folks are familiar with. And it's a great one. It really helps you to begin to understand what we're dealing with when we're talking about this incredible supernatural book that all of us are holding in our hands this morning. The equivalent of that number would be like taking the state of Texas and filling it full of silver dollars two feet deep over the entire state. Take a blind guy, or a, blind, a blindfolded guy, bring him to the state of Texas, and tell him that you have t taken... Now, he wouldn't know whether you did or not if you blindfolded him, but tell him that you have taken one silver dollar and you painted it red on one side. And you take that silver dollar and you mix it in with all the other silver dollars all over the state of Texas, and you're going to give this blindfolded guy one shot of reaching in anywhere he wants to in the entire state of Texas, and the odds, the chances of him reaching in and pulling out that one that you painted red on one side is one out of that number right there. I mean, that's just eight. But, now, let, let, let's talk for a second about the chance of 48 of those prophecies. Again, there were 360, all of them fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just talk about the, the, the mathematical probability of 48 of those being fulfilled in one person. The odds are one chance out of 10 to the 157th power. It would look something like this. For 48 of them. Now, our mind can't comprehend a number like that. Frank, you're counting them! <laughs> you know what? I, I should have prophesied this. I should have written it down. I knew it was going to happen. I knew he was going to say, now, did they just do this for effect? Or, and there are uh, 10 to the 157th power. Please.
please do not do it. Please listen to what I'm saying. Trust me. That's what it is right there, okay? Somebody take a picture, and, and Frank, you can count them after the service. Frank can count. We can confirm, confirm it tonight, okay? But our minds can't comprehend a, a number like that, and so, so let me help you. Mathematicians have helped us to be able to comprehend what those chances are like, okay? And so now think with me for a sec. I want you to think about a one-inch line of electrons, okay? Now, electrons are really, really, really tiny, okay? You, you can't see them. But let's just say you've got this incredible microscope, and you're able to see the electrons. And we're going to take a one-inch line, and if you counted them, counting 250 of them in a minute, you know how long it would take you to count a one-inch line of electrons? If you counted 250 a minute, it would take you 19 million years to count a one-inch line of electrons. Okay, so now we set that. So now what I want you to do is I want you to think about a cubic inch of electrons. Okay, now that's not real big. It's just a little one-inch box. Okay, but we're going to take on the task of counting this little one-inch one box of electrons. Okay, now to take and count that one-inch cube of electrons, if you counted 250 a minute, and it doesn't, I mean, a lot of you that know math, you already know how to figure this out, right? It would take you, at counting 250 a minute, it would take you 19 million years times 19 million years times 19 million years, because it's a, it's a cube. Now, let's take one of those electrons that it takes you 19 million years times 19 million years times 19 million years to count, and, and let's just put a red dot on one of them okay and let's go back to texas let's get this guy that we blindfolded and let's bring him back and let's let him take one stab at reaching in and grabbing that one electron with that one little red dot that it takes you 19 million years times 19 million years times 19 million years to count and that is the probability of all of the or 48 of the prophecies concerning christ coming to pass just coincidentally. And what I'm trying to get you to see this morning is when we're talking about the prophecies concerning Christ, we're not talking about eight. He didn't just fulfill eight. He didn't just fulfill 48. He didn't just fill 200, fulfill 208, but all 360 prophecies concerning Him. And you know what? Now, now listen. Do you know what most people in the last days of the 20th century are doing with those facts? <laughs> Closing their eyes, stop, stopping their ears, because if I can't see it, then it's not really there. And if I can't hear it, then nobody's really saying anything. And now here we come to the book of Revelation. And do you realize what the book of Revelation is, folks? Now, now listen carefully. This is the reason I'm going through all of this, is we're trying to just set up this, this expositional study for the book of Revelation. Do you realize what this book is? What, what this book does is it details for us Prophecy after prophecy that point to the second coming of Christ to this planet. And what it does is it gives us a blow-by-blow -blow description of the great tribulation that Jesus talked about in, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 21. 
that time that he said will be such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. That's what is lined out for us in the book of Revelation. In fact, what we've already talked about is he takes from chapter 4 to chapter 19. What the Lord does is he takes all of those chapters to bring you four times through the great tribulation. That time when Jesus said, there's never ever been a time on this planet that it's going to be anything like that one. And there'll never be a time after it that is such an, an, an incredible time you, you just can't even begin to imagine all of the things that will begin to take place on this planet. And all that's laid out for us in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation also lays out for us in, in even further detail that time that the Apostle Paul foretold in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7, 8, and 9, when he said that that time when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And all of that is detailed for us in the book of Revelation. Folks, we're talking about times, the great tribulation, the second coming of Christ, the most intense time of God's wrath, that your mind can even begin to conceive of. Turn over to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16, look at verse 1, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. Folks, when Jesus Christ came to this planet the first time, what humanity did is they killed the only begotten Son of God. And you know what? God's ticked. And there is coming a time when His wrath will be unleashed on this planet. And that's what's being detailed for us in Revelation chapter 6. And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast and upon them which worshipped his image. Now we'll go into detail about all of this when we get to Revelation chapter 16, if we're still here. But when, when we get to that point, we're going to be going into detail on all of this stuff. But did you see in the paper this week what's going on down in North Carolina? A grievous sore has begun to appear on thousands and thousands and thousands of fish that are just floating up to the surface, and they've got this sore on them. And what they're beginning to find out is fishermen that are in fishing in that part of the, the country are also coming out with the same symptoms, the sores, that they can't quite figure out. And, and you know, years ago, people look at it, oh, what, what's up with all this stuff in the Bible? It, it, it's beginning to be taking place right before our very eyes. And then the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea and it became as the blood of a dead man. And every living soul died in the sea. And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of the waters and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shalt be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of the saints and the prophets. Thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. 
And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. Do you get this? Here is God beginning to exercise his wrath on this planet. And men are beginning to be scorched from this. But rather than cry out to God for mercy, what they do is they blaspheme the very one that is has the ability to take the plagues off. And look at the last part of verse 9. And they repented not to give him glory. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. And check it out. And repented not of their deeds. And I know that some of you are sitting here and you're listening to all of these things that where God begins to talk about when His wrath is unleashed on this planet and you're saying, oh my goodness, well if I, am, if I begin to go through the tribulation period, if I'm not prepared for the rapture when it takes place and I begin to go through this, this time that Jesus said there's never been a time like it nor will there ever be a time after it that it compares to it. And if I'm here during that time and I begin to see those things taking place, I can guarantee you, man, I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord. No, you won't. You will fulfill the prophecy right here. You know, you know why you will? Because when the Lord Jesus Christ was revealed before your very eyes, just like Jesus said, your heart, you clogged it, you closed your eyes, and you plugged your ears. And because you do that now, you will fulfill this prophecy in the future. And the question that you've really got to ask yourself and answer this morning is, in light of the first coming of Christ, and based on the fact that every single prophecy was fulfilled to the absolute letter, and in light of the thousands and thousands and thousands of other fulfilled prophecies all down through the centuries that weren't necessarily related to, to, to the, the coming of Christ, and all of those came to pass exactly as God said they would, and with everything that is in the Bible right now pointing to the fact that this age is soon going to be drawing to a cataclysmic close, will you take extreme precautions concerning the prophecies detailing His second coming, or are you going to put your finger in your ears, close your eyes, and go la in hopes that maybe this book, with a 3,500-year infallible track record, after all this time, that maybe it might just start missing concerning its prophecies concerning the second coming of Christ. Folks, you know what? You wouldn't do that with our little imaginary psychic that we talked about at the beginning this morning. So why? Would you do it with a living, holy, omnipotent, infallible God that has revealed truth after truth after truth before your very eyes? You know, I mean, you begin to start, stop and think about this thing, and it's, it's mind-boggling that in light of all that God has done to reveal Himself, that man continues to choose to do the very same things that we saw revealed to us in Zechariah, in Acts chapter 7, in Matthew chapter 13. I mean, it, it, it's all there. And if you've never, 
If you're here this morning and you've never, like it, it talks about in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 in verse 8, we, we saw that verse just a, a minute ago. If you've never come to the point to where you know God and you've never obeyed the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, if I were, if I were sitting in, in, your, in your place here, here this morning, you know, the first thing that I would do, I would pray that the event that the Bible describes called the rapture, I would pray that it didn't take place before this service ends. And I mean that in all sincerity, because we are that close to, to that event. But if, if, if that's never happened for you, let, let me tell you just in brief detail what that verse is actually saying. Because what, what he says, that is, if you come to that point, if you come to the second coming of Christ, and you don't know God, and you have not obeyed the gospel of Christ, He is coming, taking vengeance on all them that know not God. He is coming in flaming fire. So let me, let me make sure you understand exactly what this is talking about. And I'm going I'm to go through this just very succinctly. Listen very carefully. I'm going to make this as, as simple as, as the Bible does. Okay, Everything that the Bible teaches us, above everything else about God and all of His attributes, God is supremely holy. And God created man to have a relationship with him. And so here is a holy God who is a God of love, and so he creates man and woman to have a relationship with him. That first man and that first woman chose to sin. And the Bible says that every single one of us have followed suit. Every single one of us have chosen to sin. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And our sin has caused us, the Bible teaches, to die spiritually. We have become sinners. We have become unholy. And because of that, we are separated from a holy God. Our spiritual death, our sinfulness, is what keeps us now knowing Him. Now listen, our sinfulness does not keep us from being religious. Our sinfulness does not keep us from doing good deeds. Our sinfulness does not keep us from going to church. Our sinfulness does not keep us from being baptized or catechized or homogenized or whatever. But what it does is it keeps us from knowing Him. But you see, God is not just a holy God. He is a God of love. So here we were with absolutely nothing that we could do to remove our sin. And so God, who is love, became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, and He came to this planet for a specific purpose. That specific purpose was to pay the price of man's sin. He lived a sinless life, and when He came to the cross, what the Bible says that He did is He took our sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, He hath made Him to be sin for us. And don't miss that. He hath made Him to be sin for us. That's all of us who are sinners. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, some of you through your good works and your baptism and your catechism and, and all of these things, you know what you're trying to do? You're trying to become righteous on your own. You have to be made righteous through the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And what Jesus Christ did is He paid for our sins 
Through his death, he was buried, and then he rose again victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And that is what the Bible refers to when it talks about the gospel. The gospel, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is simply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that was in payment in full for our sinfulness. Now listen, Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 says that now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You know what that means? That means that God is commanding every single person on this planet to turn from anything and everything that you are trusting or have ever trusted and you turn from all of that to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone as your only hope for salvation. That's how you come to know God. The sin that separates us from Him is removed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We come into a relationship with God once again where we know Him, but it comes about only through the gospel and being obedient to the command of God to repent. That's it. But let me tell you, if you don't know God, and if you do not obey that gospel, when you read in the Scripture Him coming in flaming fire taking vengeance, understand, that's for you. Well, I thought he was a God of love. He is. And this morning he stands as a loving, holy God. And you know what he's doing right now? You know, you know how he's proving his love to you now? He brought you to a service today where he is revealing his truth to you. Now he manifested his love for us when he died on the cross. But now that truth is coming to you. Today is the Lamb of God. And that day, He will be the Lion from the tribe of Judah, the Bible talks about. And He's coming back totally different than when He came that first time. And folks, we're not like sitting around going, I wonder if this is all really true. It couldn't be clearer if you'll take your hands away from your eyes and open them, get your fingers out of your ears and just open your heart. It's nothing nothing we're talking about here. You don't have to take any blind leaps of faith. God has done everything possible, everything possible to make sure that you didn't miss it. But you know what's sad? Is there's a lot of you. They're going to be just like the ruling council of the nation of Israel. They had it all. They saw it all. They experienced it all. Somebody opened the book, Stephen, and laid it all out for them. And they didn't want it. And so you see, they have no one to blame but themselves. And if you 
If you experience the wrath and vengeance of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes to this planet, of all people, you certainly are not going to be able to say, you know, I just didn't know. Someone says, well, you know, aren't you being somewhat of an alarmist and a sensationalist about all, all of this? I mean, isn't it true that every generation of people has thought that they were the last generation? I mean, isn't that something that... that it, haven't Christians been saying that for century after century after century? You know what? They have. That is, that is true. I'll, I'll give you that. But you know what's wild about that? It hasn't been until this generation where people have used that as an argument and and even that is a proof that this is the generation that's going to happen because it says in second peter chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 listen knowing this first that there shall come in the last days scoffers watch this walking after their own lust and saying where is the promise of his coming for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And you know, there are all kinds of people in, the, people in the days that we're living in who want to throw that argument in our face. And, and go back to verse 3 of that. I want you to look at it again. Why did they throw that argument out? Look at the last part. Walking after their own Lust. You know why we want to blind ourselves to the reality of what has been revealed to us by God? Because we want to make ourselves feel good and we don't want anybody raining on our parade. And it doesn't matter who it is, man or God. We want to do what we want to do. So in light of all the revelation of God, we're going to act like this doesn't really even exist. And you know, though most generations have been that generation that thought they were going to be the one that would be raptured off of this planet, again, there's still never been a generation like ours. Take your Bible and turn back to the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll do this just real quickly. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 24 the first book of the new testament if you're unfamiliar with driving in the in the bible now what is oh, what is just so incredible is when you come to Matthew chapter 24 and in verse 3 would you look at it? it it says that here that Jesus was sitting upon the mount of olives and and I want you to make sure you understand this about this context this is where he is seated right here in Matthew chapter 24 it is the very place he will his his foot will first touch when he comes to this planet at his second coming this is that very place detailed for us in scripture he is sitting in that very place, and the disciples are asking him, what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? I mean, is that not just incredibly wild? He's sitting at the very place, and they said, oh, now they don't have a clue. What is going to be the sign of, of, of thy, thy coming and the end of the world? And, and he answered in verse 7 and 8, nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, 
And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. In that little phrase there is an idiomatic Hebrew phrase that refers to the, the first births of pain. And you women know a whole lot more about that than, than I do. But you know how when you're going into labor, those first births of pain, that's the beginning of sorrows. Hebrews would have understood that's what that phrase meant. I mean, God even defined that for us over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3. But what Jesus lets us know here is that the initial sign that you're coming into the last days, look at, look at it again, is there will be a worldwide state of war that would involve many kingdoms and nations that would be accompanied by pestilences and earthquakes in various nations. And there's no doubt about it, folks. Now, now listen very carefully. We're almost done. Now listen. There's no doubt about it. We went for a period of 1,900 years that passed by without those beginning of sorrows taking place. But in one 10-year period, from 1914 to 1924, those prophecies that Jesus said marked the beginning of the end, those prophecies were clearly fulfilled. On July 28, 1914, Austria declared war on Serbia, and it marked the beginning of the First World War. Now, now check this out. Jesus said, when you see nation against nation and kingdom against na- kingdom, watch out now because that's the beginning of sorrows. And do you know what took place during that war? Austria, again, declares war on Serbia. And that war included Austria, Hungary, uh, Hungary Serbia, Russia, Germany, France, Belgium, Britain, Japan, New Zealand, Poland, Turkey, China, Italy, Bulgaria, Greece, Scotland, Romania, the United States, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Haiti, Honduras, and others. Nation against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And World War I was followed by the world's greatest pestilence, the influenza epidemic of 1918. And then the world's greatest famine, which led to the starvation of hundreds of millions of people. Hundreds of millions, folks, especially in Russia and Red China. And then the world's most deadly and devastating earthquakes in China in 1920, in Japan in 1923, with a combined total of over 340,000 deaths just in those two. And that was all just in that decade from 1914 to 1924. And once those birth pains started... There hasn't been any let-up since. 1939 brought the Second World War, where nation against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and then countless other wars where nation again would rise against nation, and then nation even within the nations, and we're seeing that happen on, on the planet. There was the Great Depression, the epidemics of polio, cholera, and other diseases, that, and, and now we've moved into the new one, right? AIDS. The deadly earthquakes have continued according to a study carried out by the United Nations covering the years between 1926 and 1950. There were 350,000 deaths. And since that time, on the average, about 10,000 people die a year as a result of earthquakes alone. And Jesus said the sign 
of the end, you see those things starting to take place, and that's how you'll know. And then we look at the same chapter, look, look at verse 32 and 33. Now we're in a parable of the fig tree. You begin to follow that through the Bible, what you begin to find out is that fig tree is the nation of Israel. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. And what you begin to see back in Ezekiel's prophecy and other places in the Old Testament Jesus came on the scene and Jesus talked about the fact that the nation of Israel was going to be annihilated in 70 A.D. Titus Vespasian came down and he leveled that and the Jews were scattered over all of the world. The nation of Israel was no longer in existence. But the Bible talked about when you see that fig tree begin to bud its leaves, watch out. Watch out. In 1948, Israel became a nation. The rebirth of the nation of Israel. 1948, Israel became a nation. In 1967, Jerusalem ceased to be a divided city and came fully under the control of Israel. We've watched those things take place, in most of us, in our own lifetime. And Jesus says, listen, when you watch that, when you see all these things begin to take place, no, you're that close. Now, folks, I don't know how to make it any clearer to you. I, I'm serious. I, I, I don't, personally, I, I, I don't have the ability to make it any clearer to you than I've tried to make it today. Now, most of the people that are in this room have already received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and, and I thank you for allowing me to take the last four weeks to try to pull in some of, some of our guests who maybe haven't come through all of the Bible teaching and maybe don't understand all of it, but the book of Revelation was just a, a little bit uh, something for them to, uh, to ask some questions about. And, and a lot of you have been coming over the last several weeks because we're going to begin the study of the book of Revelation. What I've been trying to do for the last four weeks now is I've been trying to just lay a foundation for you so that when we begin this thing, if these events, and the next one that we're looking for is the rapture of the, the church, and those that know Jesus Christ will be removed from this planet, and we will enter into a seven-year period of tribulation that we talked about this morning, culminating with the second coming of Christ to this planet when he comes in flaming fire, taking vengeance. And what we've been trying to do is just let you begin to see what this book, the Bible, is really all about before we begin to go to this book that completes the Bible. And next Sunday, we're going to begin just going word by word, verse by verse. I promised that last week. I lied. Forgive me. But you know what? I, I just felt like in light, of, in, in light of these things, we needed to give one more shot so that you begin to understand that this thing that we're talking about, about Jesus coming to this planet and what He wants to do in your life, it's real and it's based on historical fact and biblical fact. And you've really got a choice today. Same choice men have always had. 
You can open your heart and you can receive it. Or you can, as Jesus said in Matthew 13, 15, your heart can wax gross. You can clog your heart. You can close your eyes and plug your ears. But if you do that, in light of what he has revealed to you, I promise you, you will fulfill the prophecies in Revelation 16 when the judgment comes on this earth and you will look to heaven and you will blaspheme his name. But today, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to save you. He wants to come into your life. He is the holy Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world and he'll do that for you today. And I don't know what you've got going this afternoon. All I can tell you is it's not as important as you taking just a few minutes at the conclusion of this service to let somebody take a Bible and begin to walk you through how you can enter a personal relationship with Jesus Christ today. And at the conclusion of this service, our pastors will be up on either side of the worship center positioning themselves there to talk to you in hopes that you will come at the conclusion of this service and talk to one of us so that we can show you today how you can become a child of God and you can anticipate the glorious coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the ball is in your court right now. Will you open your heart? Or will you reject? Let's stand together with our heads bowed. And now, Father, I I pray that You would take the the preaching and, and teaching of Your Word. And I pray that You would, by Your Spirit, be able to use it to convict men and women and young people of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We pray, Father, that in this very service today that You would draw people to Yourself. We recognize that this is Your job. You have commissioned us to take Your Word and to proclaim it, every word of it, and we have sought to do that today. And now, Lord, would You do in this service what what only you can. And I pray that in the face of this that you have revealed to us, that there would not be one person here today that would leave revealing what you have so clearly revealed to us. We thank you that You have given us the Word of God. Thank You that we have in our hands something supernatural from the living, holy God that makes it so clear. And so now, Lord, do Your work. Save the lost for Your glory's sake. Amen.